I wanted to just share a couple of practical tools that are free for you if you have the internet. Or if not, you can go to our library and you can check out some of the resources, the, some of the Bible commentaries in our library. But I wanted to show you, for those of you who use the internet or use smartphones, ways that you can dig a little deeper on your own in your own personal Bible study so that you don't have to just take it from my mouth because we should always search the Bible ourselves and see if Scripture is actually teaching. We shouldn't just believe what someone says. Uh, so we're continuing, or actually, we're going to end our series today, and we'll start a new series next week. You'll find out about that next week. But over the last few weeks, we've learned that it's important to, to not just read one verse all by itself and then think that we understand the verse simply by itself. We need to look at the whole context. We also learned that it's important to know historically what was going on at the time that a certain passage was written. We saw that very clearly with Jeremiah 29.11, how important it is to know the circumstances that was going on there. And we also uh, discovered that it was important to know culturally what was going on during the time at which a book was written. And we saw that from Paul's letter to the Galatians last week, the different cultural dynamics that were going on then. So today we're going to wrap it up by looking at the Great Commission, one of the most famous Bible passages of all time. And I think we'll dig a little bit deeper and we'll have some good life application. But first I want to share with you some resources. This first one is called blueletterbible.org. If you have a pen or pencil, you can write that down or you can even download the app on your smartphone. But this is just a great free resource that has some commentaries and it provides you with a way to, to dig a little deeper yourself. So you can just go to the search bar and we'll put in our passage for today. We'll go Matthew chapter 28, and we'll look at verse 18. We hit enter, and it loads our passage here. And what's really neat is you can come over here to the tools button. You can click the tools button, and all of a sudden, all these different tools pop up. If you're into the whole Greek thing, you can see what the root word is. It'll even uh, pronounce it for you if you click the button there. Um, if you want to compare it in different Bible translations, you can look and you can see there's the King James, New King James, New Living Translation, NIV, ESV, and the list goes on. It just has a whole bunch of different translations. You can compare it all in one spot. This is all, of course, free for you to use. Now, the cross-references are, are super important because that helps you compare Scripture with Scripture. And it, oftentimes, you'll have it even in the center uh, margin of your Bible. It will show you related verses of Scripture. That's super important for helping to understand and dig a little deeper on your own in your own Bible study. But if you don't have that, you can come here and you can see a whole bunch of related verses just to the one verse that we clicked on. You also um, may find the commentaries section useful to you. It doesn't have a ton of commentaries, but it does have um, some various ones that are free and I enjoy the Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown commentary, for example. Uh, it has a lot of good things in. Of course, when you're looking at a commentary, it's obviously just one person or a committee's comments. And so we don't take any one person's thoughts as the authority on a particular subject. But it'll give you some ideas for how things have been translated. It might give you some history. And it might help explain some of the culture that was going on. There are also dictionaries and... Sometimes there are different maps and pictures that you can look at. So that's one free resource to you, blueletterbible.org. 
Another good one to use is BibleTools.info. BibleTools.info. And again, we're just going to put in Matthew 28, verse 18. And it pops up with some various commentaries here. You've got Matthew Henry, you've got Albert Barnes, Adam Clark. Uh, and what's unique about this one is it also pulls in related passage or related portions from the writings of Ellen White that talk about similar concepts. So it's an easy way to, to kind of read some of those inspirational things on a various passage, and it also has cross-references. So I'll let you, for the, if you have a computer on the internet, you probably know how to navigate some of these things pretty well. Uh, if you have more questions, I'd be happy to answer that. But those are just a couple of simple tools you can use on your own to dig deeper in your own personal Bible study. And of course, if you weren't here for a sermon and you want to re-listen to a message, you can always go to our webpage and you can go to the media portion, click on sermons, and we've got it all updated now so you can see, and, or not see, you can listen to sermons from the last couple of years. Uh, if you want to go back, you can go all the way back to, boy, going a long ways back here, 2010. Rusty Chase, you can listen to his message there, Knowing the Invisible God. Anyways, these are a couple of resources. If you want to subscribe to the podcast, you can get it directly on your phone. You can do that through iTunes. Anyways, I hope that's helpful and practical. One of my jobs is not just to be here and speak to you. I want to help train you to do deeper study, more meaningful study on your own. So I hope that is a blessing to you. Thanks. All right, before we get into God's Word, let's pray one more time. I like a church that believes in prayer. Amen? That's a very, very good thing. So let's talk to Jesus one more time. Here we are, Lord. We need you. Be in our hearts and in our thoughts. In your name we pray. Amen. I'd invite you to open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28. Should be no secret that we're headed there today. Matthew chapter 28. And we're going to start in verse 16. Matthew 28, verse 16. The Bible there says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee. Now, why are there eleven? Of course, the sad reality that Judas, by this point, is dead. They go to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. Here in English, we can see it, and we can see it in the Greek. It's the mountain. It's a specific mountain where Jesus had told them to go. In fact, if you just go back a few chapters to Matthew chapter 26, verse 32, you'll see Jesus told them to go into Galilee. Matthew 26, verse 32 Jesus, before his death, he said, but after I has, have risen, I will go ahead of you into where? Into Galilee. And then, back to Matthew chapter 28 real quick. Matthew 28, verse 7. After Jesus' resurrection, once again, he says this. Or rather, this was the angel. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead, and he is going ahead of you into where? Galilee. Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. And if that wasn't enough, in verse 10 of chapter 28, we see it one more time. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go tell my brothers and go to where? Galilee. Galilee. 
So this is very clear. Jesus, after his resurrection, at some point, was going to meet them in Galilee. There in in Matthew 28, verse 16, we see that they meet on a specific mountain. The Bible doesn't tell us which mountain that was. Some have said it was Mount Tabor. That was the mountain where Jesus was transfigured, where he turned into this glorious uh, future person of, well, they got a sneak preview of his glorious being there on that mountain. It could have been that one. That was about 11 miles from Galilee. Or it could have been the same mountainside where Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 delivered the Sermon on the Mount. I'd like to think that it happened there, kind of coming back full circle to that first major sermon on the kingdom. And now Jesus, as he's preparing to depart, gives a final charge to his followers. The Apostle Paul in in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Uh, 15 tells us that Jesus appeared at one time to 500 people all at once. And it probably was this event. Matthew is just focused specifically on the 11, but probably this is when he met with 500 people. In fact, it's the only time after Jesus' resurrection where he specifically has an appointed meeting time. Usually, Jesus is just appearing. He's like popping up while they're praying in a room, and they're like, whoa, what's going on? Or they're fishing by the sea, and all of a sudden they see a man on the shore, and it happens to be Jesus. Well, this time he has a specific meeting. So the word had gotten out, Jesus is going to meet us in Galilee. So I imagine that because of the fear for the Jews and the fear for the Romans and all of this, that people are going out of Jerusalem different ways. They're traveling on different paths, trying not to look suspicious because, listen, they just... Their, their leader had been killed. And they're not sure what's going to happen to them. So Galilee was a safer place where a larger group of people could gather. And there they are, 500 or more in total. And Jesus is about to appear to them. Verse seven, 17. When he saw them, they worshipped him. They looked and they saw Jesus. And people just started worshipping But then look at the next phrase. It says, but some doubted. Some doubted. Probably not the 11 because Jesus had already appeared to the 11. He'd already appeared to Judas who said, unless I put my finger inside of his wound, I'm not going to believe. He'd already appeared to the disciples. These are probably some of these 500 who, who this is their first time seeing the resurrected Jesus. And they look at him and they're like, I'm not so sure. Now, some might be troubled by this, but for me, this actually gives me more confidence in this story. Because if you're just going to make up a story and make up a story about Jesus being raised from the dead, you probably wouldn't want to have people who had doubt. You'd want to to write the story and say, and every single person believed 100% to try and bolster your story. But the Gospel of Matthew records it very honestly and says, you know what? People worship, but then there were some... Who weren't so sure. You know, there are always going to be people who aren't so sure. And the Greek word here for doubt is not the firm, I'm never ever going to believe. It's more like, I need to think about this. I'm not so sure. There were some who doubted. And then Jesus speaks, and he gives them four alls. Four alls. We're going to focus on these four alls this morning. 
The very first one, Jesus came to them in verse 18 and said, All authority, all power in heaven and on earth has been given to me. During his authority, during his, his, his ministry rather, Jesus had had his authority questioned. There was the time when, when he was going to heal the man who couldn't walk. And he first said to them, son, your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees are like, what is this guy doing? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And then Jesus said, by the way, so that you know I have the authority to forgive sins, I'm going to also heal his body. And then there are other people who, after the Sermon on the Mount, they're like, whoa, this guy speaks with great authority. Jesus had that authority. He possessed that authority. He was driving demons out during his reign. But now, after his resurrection, after his successful triumph on the cross, it's like Jesus has been invested with even more authority. Not just a portion, but all of it. Not just on this earth, but also in heaven. That's a lot of power. That is a lot of authority. And it's kind of a funny thing for someone to say who had just been killed. Right? We know, you know the story because we're familiar with it. But this was a guy who had been executed and, and, and hung on a cross in a shameful manner. And now he's standing up and he's saying, hey, I have all the power and all the authority. Kind of a different thing to say. All authority. But he's basing that authority on what he's about to say next. Like a general about to command his troops to go out into battle, Jesus is saying, I have all the power, and now I'm about to send you out also. So the first all is all authority. And then we get to the second all. Verse 19, Therefore go and make disciples of just some of the nations. Huh? Oh, sorry. Most of the nations, if it's convenient, I guess. What does it say? All the nations. Now, listen culturally. We discussed last week how there was a lot of prejudice, a lot of racism, a lot of tension between people who were Jews and those who were not Jews. And so now Jesus is saying to them, you're supposed to go not just to people who are just like you. You're supposed to go to everybody. Last week we discussed, at the foot of the cross, the ground is level, right? In Christ there are no outsiders. Jesus is making that very clear. Go to everybody. Not just the people you get along with, not just the people who look like you, who are culturally like you, who speak the same language. You're supposed to go to everybody single nation and people group. All authority, all nations, everybody is supposed to hear the word. I was reading something from one of those commentaries and it quoted Spurgeon, the great preacher. Spurgeon was commenting on the, on the people who were being sent and he was noticing the character of some of the disciples. He said, who is to go out first for that band of disciples. It's Peter, Peter the rash and headstrong. It's John, who sometimes wanted to call down fire from heaven to destroy people. It's Philip, whom sometimes, uh, with whom the Savior had been so long, yet he had not known him. It's Thomas, who said, I must put my finger inside of you before 
I will believe. Yet the master says to them, go. All power has been given to me. There is no power in you. I know, but then all power is in me. Therefore, go ye. Sometimes when we hear the call to us to go, we're like, well, I can't go, Lord. Don't you know me, Lord? He knew his disciples, didn't he? But he said, all authority has been given unto me, all power, and I'm sending you to everybody. Everybody must know. Everybody must go. But he didn't just say go and teach them about me, right? He said go and make what? Disciples. A disciple is not simply someone who's good at Bible jeopardy, right? It's important to know facts about the Bible, but it's much more important to know Jesus himself. Amen? Amen. Make disciples. If we as a church only teach people about God and about the Bible, we aren't following the Great Commission. Because we're supposed to make disciples. A disciple is someone who follows Jesus, who grows in Jesus, and who goes for Jesus. Someone who learns the trade of his master and then follows in the same footsteps. We have to be very intentional as a church to make sure that we're not just proclaiming Jesus, but they're also helping to disciple people. People who will go on to make more disciples themselves. I'd rather have a church that has a few solid disciples than a church that has a whole bunch of pew warmers. Amen? Amen. God's working on my heart. He's working to make me more of a disciple. He wants to make all of us disciples so that we can make others disciples, so that we can baptize people. Baptism is so important, isn't it? That was a part of Christ's commission. We're supposed to baptize people into the name, the name singular, the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Here, a singular that is somehow plural at the same time. This evidence of the Godhead. All authority, Jesus said. All nations. And then notice what he says there. In verse 20, it says, and teaching them to obey everything. It's not quite the word all, but it's close enough. Everything means all. Teach, oh, hers, there, Nina says it says all in her Bible. Perfect. <laughs> teaching them to obey all things that I have commanded you. By the way, the Greek word there is a, is a participle, which basically in this context means continue teaching. It's not just a one-time teach and then you're done. It's continually teaching them. That's the discipleship process, right? When kids are growing up, it's not just a one-time instruction, a one-time nurture. It's a continual process, teaching them to obey all things, to observe all things, rather. Observing is a lifestyle. It's a way of life. It's not just knowing it in your mind. By the way, what were some of those things that Jesus taught? What were some of those things that he commanded us, instructed us? Now, immediately our mind would go to, oh, the Ten Commandments, right? Yeah. You'll know, the people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. He said, I give you a new commandment. Love each other. 
We've got to make sure that that's a part of our discipleship process, not just knowing the doctrines. Doctrines is important because it tells us about our Father. It tells us about our Savior. It tells us about the Holy Spirit. Well, we need to make sure we're telling people how to love each other in spite of differences. How to love each other even though they might be a Democrat and you're a Republican. How to love each other in spite of things that tend to divide us. That's a part of the all things. I think about that Sermon on the Mount where Jesus talks about if you have hatred in your heart for someone else, you're really killing them. It's like you're killing them. That's a part of Christ's teaching. It's not just those Ten Commandments, as important as they are. It includes so much more. How about Matthew 18, how to resolve conflict between two people? You don't start saying, oh, you know what sister so-and-so did? You first go and talk to sister so-and-so. You try and work it out in a private manner between the two of you. We got to remember when Jesus said teaching them all things, he meant all of these things that he had taught his disciples, that he had commanded and instructed his disciples. Number one, he had all what? All authority, all power. We're supposed to go to all where? All nations, teaching them all things. And the final all is one of my favorites. Jesus said, and surely I am with you always. King James Bible starts off with a phrase, low. And someone commented once, they said, if it wasn't because of the low, we'd have no hope with the go. Because Jesus said, low, I'm with you always. We can't go if we don't have the low, the understanding that Jesus is going to be with us. The presence of Christ gives us power, The presence of Christ gives us peace. The presence of Christ gives us protection and a host of other things. It's that promise that he's going to be with us that makes it all worth it. So it's a pretty simple message. We're called to go by a Savior that has all power. We're called to go to all nations We're called to teach them all things, make disciples, baptizing them, and remembering that he'll be with us always. So the big question I have for us this morning is, what do we do with this? Because once again, if we just put it up here, and we say, oh yeah, I got that. Four alls, okay, I know what Pastor said. I can answer the question if he quizzes us. It's good to remember these things. I hope you take notes. I hope you remember these things. But it's so important for us to apply them in our life. So what do we do? How do we apply this in our life today, in our mission as a church, in our life this week? The first thing I'm going to challenge you to do is, number one, pray and ask God. God, how do you want me to go for you? I can't tell you what specific mission God has put on your heart. But I do know that God has called every one of us, first and foremost, to be missionaries for him. Your career is merely an excuse. It's like you're an undercover operant for God. And your career is is a way that you get to, number one, pay for the bills, but it's also a way for you to infiltrate the world for the kingdom of God. 
to be praying for opportunities to influence the people in your workplace. For some people, it's more obvious than others because their job is to be a teacher at CVCA, and, and every day you're working, molding, discipling the young children, the old children. Maybe for some of us, it's a little less clear. But I have a friend who's a plumber, and he probably does more ministry than a lot of pastors do. And he's in people's homes when their pipes break, and he's there to fix their pipes, but he's also there to communicate the love of Jesus. And he's also telling them about Jesus, and he's giving them spiritual literature, and he's inviting them to church. Man, this guy, uh, he does a lot of visitation, right? (laughs) At odd hours, and people are so appreciative for it. Whatever your career, your number one calling is to be a disciple maker for Jesus. So my challenge for you this week is, number one, pray and ask God, God, how can I do it more? How can I communicate your love and truth more than I'm already doing? How can I? Give me opportunities. It's amazing what will happen when you ask God to give you an opportunity to be a witness. I like to pray this prayer sometimes. I say, Lord, give me a divine appointment. Give me a special opportunity to witness for you that I wouldn't have had had I not have asked. It's crazy what God will do sometimes. I remember one time I was flying on a flight, like you do, and somehow things got mixed up and I got put on a different flight because of weather or mechanical issues, and somehow I got bumped up to first class, which, praise the Lord for that. That doesn't happen normally. So I'm sitting there, and I'm talking to the guy next to me. It's an awesome opportunity to talk to people when you're on an airplane. And I got to talking with this guy and sharing some of my story, and we were sharing back and forth, and he said, you know, I think I sat on an airplane with your father 10 years before. Yeah, it was totally crazy. He remembered the, the career that my dad's in. It was a very unique and specific thing. And so this was a, a totally divine opportunity. And, you know, by God's grace, that was an opportunity to share another bit of the gospel, another bit of God's truth with that man. An opportunity I wouldn't have had had I not have asked for it. So challenge number one, pray and ask God, God, how can I go for you this week? How can I go for you today? Not all going looks the same. God, as we've discussed this this month, this quarter in our Sabbath school lesson, gives us different gifts. How can I use my gifts for you, God? I'll tell you one thing that we need here in this church A has been so excited, and he's getting us so excited about a special project we're doing here at Parkwood Church. In the next month, uh, about 5,000 invitations to accept Bible studies are being sent out to neighbors nearby. And I tell you what, I followed these up before in my own experience as a Bible worker, and it's so exciting because you have people who send in a card saying, I want to study the Bible. I want Bible studies. How easy does that get, right? You don't even have to ask them if they want it because they've already said, yes, I want Bible studies. And so this church is needing more people to help drop off Bible studies. That's how it's going to start off. It's just going to start off by dropping it off, showing them the card. They said, hey, you wanted this? Here's your Bible study. Take a look at it. And by God's grace, we hope to build into more personal in-home Bible studies. Now, maybe you're thinking, oh, I could never do that. You'd be surprised what all power 
and all authority working through you can do. If you're just interested in knowing more, talk to A. Friday night, we're going to have a training. You don't have to commit to doing anything just by coming to the training. You can just hear more about it so you can know how to pray about it more. And maybe if, if, if God tugs on your heartstrings and you see, oh, that's something I could probably do. It's not that hard. It's not as scary as I thought. Then we can get you involved. But that's something I'd like you to pray about. Amen. I don't know how God will send you on a mission this week, but I believe God will send each of us on multiple missions if we're willing to be used by him. John Leonard Doder and David Nitchum were ordinary people. John was a potter. David was a carpenter. But they sensed God telling them to go, to reach lost people in the world. So in 1732, they were sent out as the very first missionaries from the Moravian movement. The mission that they were convicted to go on was not a mission trip short term for a week or 10 days or a month or even a year. But they realized that there were slaves in the West Indies who knew nothing about Jesus. Witnessing to them, preaching to them was illegal. And so they realized the only way that these people are going to know about Jesus is if we also are slaves. I don't know how the transaction went, but they literally sold themselves into slavery and boarded a boat heading towards the West Indies to preach the gospel to people in chains. You can imagine the scene was just really, really emotion-filled there on the dock that day. They were leaving behind the life that they knew. They were leaving behind the liberty that they knew forever, at least as far as this life is concerned. But they were so convicted in their hearts that people all around the world deserve the opportunity to know about Jesus, that they were willing to leave their friends and their family and their careers and their freedom behind. And so as they started out, as the boat was taking off out of the harbor, you could hear the voice of one of these missionaries say these words, May the lamb that was slain receive the reward for his suffering. You see, for them, the Great Commission was not simply about going. It wasn't simply about the benefit for the people who will be saved. They also were thinking about our Savior who gave up so much for every single one of us. And they said, you know what? If if going into slavery will help make Jesus' pain worth it even more to him, then I'm willing to lay it all down for him. And so that's what they did. I don't know how God's going to call you this week, but I believe he's calling each of us to use our gifts, to use our talents, to use our abilities we don't even know that we have to go and make disciples. How will you respond? Let's pray. Dear Father, we are so grateful that when you said go, You also said, lo, I'll be with you always. So go with us this week. Go with us in our interactions with people, in the words that we say to our family, to our friends, to our neighbors, to our coworkers. Go with us. Make us more committed, Lord. Make us better disciples and disciple makers for your kingdom.
And specifically, I pray you'll bless our project in this church to reach nearby neighbors who are interested in studying more about your Bible. Empower us and teach us, Father, we pray. In Jesus' name, let all God's children say, Amen. Go, and may God be with you.